Grasp the Bible is a podcast of Spring Baptist Church that walks through selected books of the Bible verse by verse, as well as spends time exploring biblical ideas and topics to help you understand and apply God's Word in your daily life. Pastor Dell Stein of our Klein campus will be leading each week's study. This is our 64th episode. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the topics that um, is funny, is a barrier for a lot of people when they're reading the Bible, and that is, Pastor Darrell? Big words. Big words. Okay. Um, so how do you feel about big words? Well, they can be intimidating. You look at all these letters strung together, and sometimes you have like five or six consonants and no vowel, and you think, is this even a word, or how do I pronounce it? And so sometimes it can be intimidating, but that's what we're here to talk about today is taking some of that fear away and working through those words slowly and being intentional about finding out what they mean. Okay, very, very good. So let's um, talk about it. Let's jump right in. Do you have any thoughts on it just to set us up? Yeah, so you'll find uh, more difficult sounding and looking words in what we call more formal equivalent translations of the Bible. So for example, the New American Standard or the King James Version. Those are as close to the original language uh, as possible. And so we find a lot of these very difficult words versus reading something like the New Living Translation. They may choose a different word to carry the same meaning, and it's a little more easy to understand. So um, again, I remember when I was a new Christian, uh, one of the things I was told, well, if you come across a hard name or hard word, just skip over it, right? And keep on reading. Well, that, that's fine, but was it really helpful? And at some point in our walk, we need to understand what these words mean. So today, uh, I just want us to look at some, some of these words that we encounter, especially in Paul's writing, uh, to help us unpack them and better understand their meaning and their significance. We have to remember that Paul was highly trained in both mm-hmm. Hebrew Aramaic, all of those kind of things. He he was more or less a lawyer of biblical law. Yes, you know? and so so when he used a word, he chose the most precise word that he could find. And in our society, we kind 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 of look down on people sometimes mm-hmm. when, when they use a big word. But sometimes it's just the right word. Mm-hmm. And 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 so we appreciate his verbose vocabulary. Yes, what I did there. Yeah, I, great. Okay, very good. So let's uh, let's jump right in that. Let's start with the very first word on your list. Okay, so the first word I have is justification. All right, so we encounter this word a lot in Paul's writings. And so uh, I want to quickly read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, because it has that word and some others that we're going to be talking about today. So Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, but now apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is then Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance, Of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness 
at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh my gosh, that wears me out just reading through all of that. Okay, so um, there's lots of um, a shuns and a cuns mm-hmm. and things yes. like that. Um, so let's let's jump right into that. Um, the first word that I saw kind of jump out on me there was justification. Yes. So let's so, talk about that. Yeah. So justification, like you said earlier, Paul uh, wrote sometimes using legal terms, and indeed that's what he's talking about here. It's this judicial acceptance by God as not guilty because our sins aren't counted against us. So in other words, when God justifies us, we are made right with him. And this happens at the moment of conversion when we become a Christian. So justification is more than simply declaring us not guilty. And and this is so, this is what's so amazing about God's grace is that we are viewed as if we've never sinned. So let's think about this in in our modern world, right? In a criminal trial, a person is either found innocent or guilty. Now, if they're found innocent, it could be because they truly are, or it could be that there is not not enough evidence to convict, even though the person may have actually committed the crime. It doesn't matter because either way, there is a recording of the trial, which is public information. Anyone can request those court proceedings to see what happened. So there's a permanent record somewhere. But when we are justified by God, there is no longer a record of our past crimes against him. And so he wipes away everything. And justification is a one-time event. And when God saves us, we're justified. Okay. Well, how does this word play into how a lot of our brothers and sisters believe um, in assurance of salvation? You know, because, because you know, sometimes you know, people talk about it like, we, we ask for forgiveness on a regular basis, but we're only justified once, right? Correct. Yeah. And so we are going to get into that as we talk about some of our other words here, uh, which is, okay, what, what happens as we sin, as we go throughout life? Are we no longer justified? What does this mean for my salvation? Is it in jeopardy? And so we're, we'll talk about that as we work through some of the other big words that we commonly encounter in Paul's writings. Okay, so let's run to a word that's not big, but it is not common in our society. Righteous. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we often hear people saying it really in a pejorative way, right? Well, you're self-righteous. You have this self-righteous indignation. Well, to be righteous simply means to conform to a certain set of expectations, and those can vary from role to role. And so righteousness is the fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship, whether with God or with other people. And so this applies at all levels of society and it's relevant in every area of life. So righteousness denotes the fulfillment of expectations in relationship between husband and wife, parent and children, one another, employee, employer, uh, merchant, customer, rulers and citizens, and God and man. Okay, so we. Uh, are fulfilling our roles as we should, right? But here's the problem. Because we've all sinned, that right relationship is, is broken. It's it's gone. So how then can we be right with God? And so Paul tells us that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to believers. Now, 
another big word, right? But it's almost like an accounting term. It's been credited. We, when we impute something to someone, we attribute something to them. So we are not actually righteous. We still sin, but rather God credits or he attributes the righteousness of Jesus, who never sinned, who, who has always existed in perfect relationship with the Father. That righteousness has been credited to us. So in other words, when God looks at us who are believers, he does so through the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, wow. That's that's actually maybe one of the most beautiful things in all of our thought processes and all of the Bible. The idea that our ugliness can be covered up with his beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay, now let's roll yeah. to maybe one of the more said words when people talk about big words, but maybe one of the least understood, propitiation. Can you spell it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, okay. So, but <clears throat> Paul uses that word, though, in, in verse 25 of Romans 3, right? And so propitiation is the turning away of anger by offering a gift, right? You ever, uh, you know, you and I are married, Marty, and uh, not married together, though. On the, what's that? We're not married together. No, no, no. Thank you for clarifying. Oh, we were married to individual women who live in. Yes, yes good point. Yeah. So, but you ever, um, you ever like make her angry and then think, oh my gosh, how to get back on her good side? And so you bring a gift, right? And so that is essentially what it is. We turn in propitiation, we turn away anger by offering a gift. And so this word was often used by pagans long ago because they thought of their gods as these unpredictable beings, okay? They were liable to become angry with their worshipers for any little thing. And so when disaster struck, it was often thought that the God was angry and therefore punishing his worshipers. And so the remedy was to offer a sacrifice without delay. And a well-chosen offering would appease that God and put him in a good mood again. And so that process was called propitiation, all right? So Jesus was offered as a propitiation for our sins, And so sin is a crime against God and deserves punishment. And sin draws God's wrath, and that wrath must be satisfied. And so the shed blood of Jesus was the offering that appeased God. That was the propitiation, that payment. Okay, so this is when we think about like pagan sacrifice. Or or they say, oh, it has not rained. We must offer up one of our children. That's what they were talking about back then. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So um, how, how does that interact with our thought now as believers, as Christians, like in the New Testament sense? Um, sometimes we think we can bring an offering to God that is good enough other than Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this was my struggle for many, many years. And eventually I came to realize that if God's perfect son was not enough to pay for everything I've done, what makes me think I can possibly add anything to that to where be, God would be like, okay, now it's finally acceptable, right? If perfection does not satisfy God, then my puny efforts surely will not. Oh, for sure. And, and so sometimes it's weird because people act as though that is the humble thing to do. Well, I'm going to keep mm. trying to offer sacrifice, but in realization, it is the most egotistical thing we can do to think that somehow, 
through our work, we can obtain salvation. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, the prophet Isaiah, uh, he even writes at one point that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And here's the thing. I, I, I will, because it's a family friendly show, I will not go into the details, but basically it was offering, we, we think our righteousness are good things before God, but Isaiah reminds us, no, they're actually just filthy before God. You, you think your righteousness is good, but you are looking at it from the wrong standard. Yeah. The most unclean thing in their society is what he was talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. So man, yeah, totally. So great word. Another this may be my favorite word of the big words. Mm-hmm. Sanctification. Sanctification. This yes. process we're living in right now. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So Paul specifically says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. He says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And so this is the process whereby God transforms us through the work of the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus. And so this is a lifelong process that begins at the moment of salvation and ends when we die. And so we continually become more holy. And here's the thing though, all right? This is not an up and to the right process, right? So we always think, oh, okay, I've been Christian for this long and I can look back and see this nice straight line of me getting better and better and better because sometimes we, we, we stumble and we fall. And so it'll go up and then maybe we plateau, maybe go down a little bit. And then we go up and then we level off and go down, maybe down a little bit. And so, but it is a lifelong process where God continually works in our lives to transform us into his son. So this goes back to what we talked about last week on the discipleship pathway, which is that it's a, it's a lifelong race. I mean, Paul even calls the Christian life a race which is this constant striving to be better. Your daughter is a racer. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure every time you talk to her, what she, she talks about her times and whether she was better or worse than the week before. Yes. I mean, you know, that's just the way racers are <clears throat> always striving to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, th- I think that we would probably benefit from this idea of pushing towards sanctification a little bit more. It's not a passive process that happens to us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's accomplished through the Holy Spirit, but we are active in that. We are active by performing certain spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and fasting and uh, meditating on God's word and memorizing scripture and a number of other things that we are intentionally involved in that uh, put us in God's path for him to be doing that work in our lives. And I think this leads us to dealing with one of the harder, most misunderstood verses in the New Testament. When Paul says, you should be working out your salvation, you know, with fear and trembling, that it's not a works-based salvation, mm-hmm. but salvation is a, we are saved in a moment, but sanctification is happening until the next word, mm-hmm. glorification. So that leads yeah. us right into this. So we, we strive towards being more like Christ. And then what is glorification? Well, Paul talks about in Romans 8.18 about this glory that awaits us in heaven. And so glorification is God's final removal of sin from the life of believers so that they could stand faultless before him in glory for all of eternity. 
So when we die, we reach this state of glorification, this state of perfection. And so we enter into God's perfect glory at that time. So we've had all these words. I love them. You know, you, you know, I love big words. It's mm-hmm. just one of the things I enjoy. There's lots of Asians here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they may seem very random if we don't look at it. It's like if you're looking at a bunch of puzzle pieces laying on the table, they look very random until you put them together into a picture. So let's, let's put the puzzle pieces together. How do each one of these feed to the next? They're not just random big words we love, but they're the foundation for our belief system. Yeah, and this is so much of our theology as Southern Baptists, how this process, these processes all work together. And it goes something like this. Because we've all sinned and can't save ourselves, God has made a way back to him through Jesus as a means of propitiation. And for those who repent of their sins and place their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, God justifies them at the moment of salvation. And at the same time, he also sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to make the process of sanctification possible. And as long as God has us here on this on this earth, his desire is that we become more and more holy until we die. And at that point, we are perfected and entered into a state of glorification where we will dwell for all of eternity with God in the presence of his glory. Okay, that was a lot to Mm -hmm. think our minds on. Um, This will be in the show notes. So folks could even pull it up right now and read it if they want to look through it, because it is something to ponder. When Mm -hmm. you say it's, this isn't like a, oh, that makes sense. You know, oh, there are five different kinds of love in the New Testament. You know, you go rattle those off. Yes, love's a complex thing, but it's not complex like this is complex. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that I, I would encourage people to think about and to think on and to, to kind of uh, meditate on, think about these, these verses, because as we look at them, they really are things that can bring us hope, these deep theological understandings of what God is doing in us. Yeah, absolutely. And we see him active in every single one. Uh, of these processes. And again, he is the one initiating. He is one who makes all of these things possible. And it's just simply an outflowing of the love that he has for us that allows any of these things to even be possible. And as Romans says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So he, Mm -hmm. he really wants to draw us into these thoughts and theology because we will dwell on something. You know, mm-hmm. we will, you know, um, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That means, you know, it's, it's the idea of being pushed into a mold, right? You either be pushed into God's mold or you'll be pushed into the world's mold. And these mm-hmm. kind of things help us stay on the track to God's mold, to where we think like he thinks, understand like he understands. Because I think sometimes we get very selfish. And when we get selfish, our theology becomes selfish. And then I think at that point, we it's very difficult to do the things we're called the great commission to reach out, mm-hmm. to learn, to be humble, to take correction. I mean, all these love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goes faith, most gentle self-control that's impossible without this working in our life. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so here's the thing too, is that I want to encourage people when you come across these big words, don't be intimidated by them. Slow down, 
read through them carefully, and then um, go online. There are a lot of great resources available online for us to look up those words and find out what they mean, and then uh, they can help us better understand the message that, that God has revealed to, to us about himself. What's great about God's word is you can just read it, and it will change your life yes. without any outside influence. But the more you pour into it with resources and study and training, it becomes a, you become aware of how deep the pool really is. Yeah, it's like anything else, right? The more we put into it, the more we get out of it. So you're exactly right. Exactly, exactly. So can you say these words really fast for me? Just, just as a, just saying like as fast as you can. I just want to hear it come out. Why, why do you want to torture me like this? <laughs> okay, I won't make you do it. But it's, it's been a great time just hearing and talking about these words. Our society, um, even in some of our churches, we've avoided difficult things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I know there are places and times uh, for different groups of people, but I think the more we dig into the the depth and the breadth of God's word together, the more we are changed together, and the more the kingdom will be impacted. Because absolutely, the well trained army is an army that's going to win. Yes, um, and so well, very very good. Let's talk a little bit about next week. Um, what's, what's going to be happening, um, is, is, as far as our podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, because next week we're going to begin recording podcasts with Dr. Uh, Matthew McKellar from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we're going to be launching a series of five episodes all about the Bible. So the ones, uh, that we're going to talk about are number one, an overview of the Bible. That's going to be our first week. And then, uh, we're going to talk about the Old Testament and then the New Testament. And then we're going to talk about, in another episode, um, some Bible study tools. Great. We, we've learned about the Bible. Um, but when I go to study it, what are some tools that can help me to better understand it? And then we're going to close the series by talking about Bible translations. I mean, you go into any bookstore right now and you see all kinds of translations. And the writers of those have different um, intentions for how they, for, for why they wrote them. And so we'll talk about different translations and what might be a good one for you. So I'm excited about this series and I'm looking forward to uh, talking with Dr. McKellar and hearing his insights on these issues. Well, great. Sounds like an awesome time. As always, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to uh, the next couple of weeks as we really get to do something fun and we hope informative because Uh, really the whole point of all that we do here is so that we can uh, look into God's word. We can find, find the truth he's given us and apply it to our daily lives so that we can change the world around us because that is our call. And that is our, our purpose. That's why God left us here. Thank you so much, Pastor Daryl, for uh, all that you do. And again, check, check out the show notes. Do you have anything as we close? No, thank you for, for bearing with us. As we go through this, uh, I know sometimes it can be easy to check out uh, when doing things, but uh, going over you know, different vocabulary and things like back in school. But uh, as we continue to grow in our understanding of God's word, he will continue to mold us and shape us as we work through those. That's a great word. Have a great day.